From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Bree Full, who is a candidate for the OPS school board. It's not like I'm some foreign alien that, <laughs> because I'm an elected official, I don't exist in the community anymore. It's like, I am a community member. I engage with my elected officials all the time, and I understand how frustrating it is when you don't feel heard by them or you don't get a response or you feel like if you talk to them, they're going to talk to somebody else and it's going to get you in trouble. I understand that. (laughs) I do it all the time. And so I want to make sure that's not the case if a constituent comes and talks to me and wants to figure something out or they have an issue because the people in the community, they know best. Full talks about community organizing, what pushed her to run for office, and the importance of local politics. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. We have an exciting announcement here at Riverside Chats, which is that we will be doing a live recording of an upcoming episode of this show at Benston Theater on September 24th, where you can see me on stage in conversation with the man himself from Mannheim Steamroller, Chip Davis. We'll be talking about his subversive approach to the music industry, the creation of Mannheim Steamroller, and how he's helped build spaces like Benson Theater for Omaha culture to flourish. Following the conversation, there will be an opportunity for audience participation and questions. I don't know, maybe we will, like Mr. Chip Davis himself, sing some Christmas songs, but make them really loud and intense. I don't know what's going to happen. It has to happen live, and hopefully you'll be there with us. Check for tickets at BensonTheater.org. An evening with Chip Davis, our first live recorded Riverside Chats since the show premiered on public radio. See you September 24th. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Today I'm talking with Bree Full, who is a candidate for OPS's school board to represent Subdistrict 2. Full is an active community member and policy advisor at the Nebraska State Legislature. We talk about her upbringing, which she believes offers unique insights that will help OPS through its difficult upcoming years following a mass exodus of hundreds of teachers this spring. Here is our conversation. My sense is when kids are growing up, they don't really have much of a sense of a school board in general. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be, you know, like there's kids who talk about like, I want to be president. Something. Maybe there are now. I don't know. I feel <laughs> like when I was a kid, there were people who would say things like that, but they generally aren't thinking about local office. So for you, I mean, do you remember first becoming aware of school boards? Do I remember becoming aware yeah. of school boards? Um, <laughs> that's a really interesting question. You know, I wasn't aware of school boards probably until I got really interested in policy and politics. And I had to kind of learn where to go if I wanted to change this or change that. And so I had to become aware of the whole system together as a whole. And the school board is a big part of that. And so I became aware of the school board maybe like six years ago and how important it really was to our community. And so... I have always been interested in education. I worked in education for a while. And so, you know, I always am passionate about issues that have to do with that avenue. And so I, you know, went for it. I was like, why not? (laughs) It's um, up for re-election. And, um, you know, the person who was in office said that they weren't going to run again. And so I was like, hey, let's do it. And then he ended up running again. That's a different story. Long story. But (laughs) anyways, yes. So you you worked in education? Yeah. So um, right after I graduated with my bachelor's degree in public health, I went on to the Service Learning Academy at UNO. I don't know if you're aware of that or what it is, but basically... They teach to UNO students and also OPS students. They bring them together, the classrooms together, like college level and whatever classroom level in OPS. They come together, try to like learn things pertaining to, like we did one about redlining. We did one about um, food sovereignty and food banks and growing our own food and stuff like that. So. I taught to kids that way. And then I also worked at the Big Garden. And so... I basically just grew gardens at um, schools and OPS and taught kids how to, you know, make sure that they're eating healthy, grow their own produce. They got to take uh, the produce garden or the produce that they grew in the garden with them home. So I really enjoy 
children and education and working with them. And so it was kind of just like a natural fit, you know? Well, and we're kind of in this weird space where education's become a battleground in the culture war in a lot of ways, uh, which isn't necessarily unprecedented, but certainly it's a pressing concern, I think, when we talk about issues that are facing teachers and what it's going to look like in the future in Nebraska. So, like, for example, a uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate and member of the University Board, University of Nebraska Board of Regents, Jim Pillen, his campaign sort of stemmed out of his attempt to pass a resolution at the Board of Regents mm-hmm. that, as he put it, would require that the university oppose critical race theory being imposed in curriculum, training, and programming. And it didn't pass. And there was always kind of this thing where both he and Ricketts always seemed to struggle to define what exactly even it was that they wanted to stop being imposed, let alone to prove <laughs> that it was being imposed and right. what that looked like. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, the the culture war can take over where we maybe would rather be talking about how do we make resources available? How do we make things efficient? How do we talk about at least clearly defined problems even? Right, right. It's really interesting. Um I try not to talk about it, but it's honestly the number one question that I get asked by my constituents is about CRT. Should we be teaching it in our schools? Um, And I immediately ask them what is their definition of CRT because it seems everybody has a different definition of what it is. And so I try to work with the person where they're at and um, try to talk about it that way. And so you're right. It's like very hard to – to define. And so we need to be working on the issues that we can define and then actually um, have a big role to play in um, our children's education. Not to say that, you know, CRT isn't important, but it's become like this big monster <laughs> that the Republicans and conservatives are using to kind of further their agenda. So I try to. Um, you know, just switch the conversation back to it's super important to be teaching comprehensive history to our students, not, um, you know, sugarcoating our history as America and what America did in the past. And so I, you know, it's important that we talk about it, um, meet people where we're at, and then also work on other issues that are extremely important, like paying teachers more. (laughs) That's a really big one right now. Um, We need to focus on things like paying teachers more, getting our kids back uh, up to speed academically, also helping them with their mental health needs, not only the children, but the teachers as well. Like they don't have a very robust mental health system in general, and they don't get their health insurance paid 100% in OPS like other school districts do. So there is a lot that we can do. in order to improve things in OPS, and I am, like, so ready to do it. (laughs) I hear people's problems. I hear, you know, parents, teachers, students, administrators even. I hear their problems, and I'm like, we've got to do something about this. And the status quo, the way it's going right now, is um, kind of, you know, OPS board is doing a lot of really good things. I do have to admit, like, recently they just passed something – it's not 100% yet, but um, they're working on it to get teachers paid more and to also pay them more for the time that they missed when they were planning classes and uh, almost trying to make up for how much harder it's going to be, um, you know, with summer school in these next couple years, considering that ballpark area, like 500 to 700 teachers are either like leaving OPS altogether or switching to another um, school. So, We have plenty of things to worry about, (laughs) that's for sure. Um, And we need to, um, you know, focus on those issues. And I'm so ready and prepared to do that. Well, yeah. So, I mean, like, I guess that's the idea is it seems like it's easier to talk about definable problems. Like we have a vacancy for someone who will teach certain classes as opposed to the problem is this ideology that we're not really sure how to define. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, but like the the broad concern, uh, which I think is often being used in bad faith, is that schools are indoctrinating kids. Mm-hmm. So did you go to OPS? Are you from Omaha originally? I sure did. Born and raised. Okay. Yeah. So what was your experience? I mean, I assume you didn't find it to be this huge indoctrination camp. <laughs> uh, what was your experience with ideology in classrooms? Um, no, I did not. Well, I'd like to think I was not indoctrinated. I'm a very free thinker and I have lots of opinions. And so I think OPS did a good job at you know, helping those things flourish within me. Like, 
asking questions. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to be curious and explore things. Like I remember in middle school at Mars Middle, um, we did this thing called Exploratory Week, and we got to pick like three different things that we wanted to explore. So I did agriculture. I wanted to be a farmer. That's what I wanted to do (laughs) when I was in middle school. And then I wanted to be an archaeologist, and then I wanted to blah, 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 blah. Um, So, yeah, I think OPS did a really good job at, um, you know, helping me find myself, what I'm interested in. And I had, you know, a good experience in OPS. The teachers there changed my life. Um, And that's a really big reason why I'm actually running is because I love OPS so much. I'm born and raised in the system. I'm a product of OPS. And so, yeah, I I liked it a lot. I would like to think I am not indoctrinated. You know, (laughs) I'm 26 years old, and so I'm actually only like less than 10 years out from high school. And I feel like I have a unique perspective where the other school board members don't. Like I'd be the, if I was to be elected, I'd be the youngest one there by um, maybe 15 years, I think it is. It's like a pretty big gap. And so, you know, the younger voice is what we're missing, and especially someone who went through the system kind of recently, um, because I did not have an easy time growing up. You know, I was a foster kid, and so OPS was still able to serve me, even though I was struggling probably more than a normal, air quotes, uh, child would. So they met me where I was at, OPS, and they allowed me to flourish, and I wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for the... Omaha public school system. Well, so, yeah, I think that's that's an important part here, which is school boards are generally not these competitive spaces for a bunch of young people entering politics. You know, it's, <laughs> it's oftentimes older, established, uh, sometimes wealthy, sometimes sort of just like there's they don't have a ton of proximity to school because maybe they've got like a kid in it. Right. So that might be a good link. But a lot of the times they're working from sort of this theoretical realm of here's what I think classrooms are like. Here's what I think it's like for teachers. They don't necessarily uh, have you know, the memory that someone who's gone through it fairly recently would have. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you talk about the, the type of insight, the unique insight that you're able to bring, like, what do you feel are some of those insights? Well, like I said, I was a foster kid growing mm-hmm. up. Um, I got put into the foster care system, I want to say, when I was um, – Oh, this is awful. I can't remember. 12, maybe. And so I was older. Um, I wasn't like uh, born into the foster care system or something like that. But, you know, I was one of those super needy kids. And so I feel like I know what they need. Um, And also, I'm young, (laughs) like I was talking about as well. I'm 26 years old, going to be 27 this year. And we don't have a voice like that on the school board. And we haven't for... Um, a couple years now, we did have a younger person who was able to get a lot of really good work done, which gives me hope <laughs> because, um, you know, going into the school board as a young person, I know quite a bit about politics. You know, I work at the Nebraska legislature. I've been working in policy for a very long time. I work for a senator. I write laws and legislation and I help pass bills forward and blah, blah, blah. But still, it's hard for people to take me seriously because of my age. And so when I saw that young person at the school board and they were able to get things done efficiently, it gave me a lot of hope. And like maybe I can actually make some change and do something about this. So, you know, I do have those um, perspectives that are missing. And we definitely need a voice like that on the school board. And it sounds like people are really connecting with what I have to say and where I'm coming from in my perspective. And so all I want to be is really a voice for the community and an advocate and speak up about things that they want and they need. And it seems like people are being receptive. Um, You know, I got first place in the primary elections. Knock on wood, you know, I'll get the same results in November. And so, you know, I think I think people are ready for change. That's for sure. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Bree Fole, who is a candidate for the OPS school board to represent Subdistrict 2. What do you think? What can local schools do to avoid mass exoduses of teachers like the one OPS experienced this spring? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. 
So your work in the legislature, um, that's a space where there's a lot of people with very different types of opinions, sometimes willing to work together and sometimes they kind of just want to be dramatic, it seems like. So I imagine there's some skills, uh, whether it's you directly doing it or just seeing how people navigate uh, that kind of sometimes contentious landscape to actually get something done that helps people. So like, what are some of the things you've noticed? How, How can you apply that to the school board? Well, I'd say probably the biggest tool that is used down in the legislature to get things done are relationships. And having good rapport with your other colleagues, say you're like a senator and you have good relationships with other senators, good relationships with their staff even, you know, staff do a lot behind the scenes to get things passed and get things moving. Also with lobbyists and with our constituents and with their community and rallying people. And I feel like I am pretty, pretty good at that, like getting people um, rallied around something in order to um, bring about change. It's like, I feel the most meaningful and lasting change is going to come because the community spurred it and because they did it. And so being able to support them through that is incredibly important when it's talking about relationships and making sure that you are in the know, you know who to talk to, you know what's going on in the neighborhood or the community that you're trying to fix. And so relationships, 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 that's all I have to say. (laughs) And, um, being strategic, um, you know, the senator that I work for, she doesn't do this, but some of them do, like trading votes or like, I'll do this for this. There's a lot of that that happens. And so there are many different things that you can do in order to bring about change and get things pushed forward. But I'd say the number one is making sure that you have good relationships with people. So, I mean, do you think it was good practice then to go to the state legislature to try to navigate or see how people are able to navigate when there's just this huge divide between goals? Definitely. Yeah. Like with the ARPA funding that was passed through this year, that was a huge battle. Uh, there were billions of dollars up for, um, you know, dispersing. And so... It was really interesting to watch that all go down and to see, you know, who gets money and who doesn't and why they got money. And it's just all really interesting to me. And thankfully, um, the senator that I work for, Senator Blood, she's running for governor. (laughs) Um, She was able to get some of the ARPA funding for uh, a group in me, Nebraska, because if you've heard about the environmental crisis that's happening over there with an ethanol plant, that's basically like poison the groundwater and the air, and the animals and the insects, it's awful. But we were able to get some funding for them to help them out and do some research to see how bad it really is. And so I was able to work with another senator. We actually kind of hopped on their bill in order to write our funding into their bill, actually. So that's how we got that that passed. And there are things that you wouldn't think of unless you are really in the mix. And, you know, I got a lot of really great help from other legislative aides who have been there for like 15, 20 years. And so they teach me all their tricks and things that they have up their sleeve and like how we're really going to get this done, how we're really going to help people. Yeah, me, I, I'm terrified by that whole situation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not great. It's really awful, actually. Senator Blood has been working with them for several years in order to get it under control. It's like probably one of the worst environmental crises we've had in Nebraska for a very, 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 very long time. And so (laughs) I don't know what else to say about it. It's just awful. And it doesn't have a lot of support in the legislature. You'd be surprised about... um, you know, senators think that this situation is all under control. NDEE has it under control. EPA, it's fine. Like, we don't need to do anything. We don't need to step into that mud. But it's like, you need to get in there. You need to get in yeah. the mud. Yeah. <laughs> you need to figure it out because people are suffering. They really are. They're getting sick. Their animals are getting sick. They have to move. And so it's not a good situation. Everybody wants the American dream. They just want to you know, be able to feel safe where they live. And currently in me and Nebraska, that's not happening. They're literally um, getting poisoned because of it. So, Well, then, you know, I think that sometimes it's easy for people to lose that sense of urgency when it's not happening near them. But, I mean, right. it's not that far away from Omaha even. No. 
And I remember, you know, reading uh, some of these reports where they're talking about how fast it can travel through the groundwater to Omaha. As, as the, uh, the context or the tone was sort of like, oh, it'll take a while for it to get to Omaha. And I thought, that doesn't make me feel that good, though. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, and I would bet, you know, the public hasn't seen all of the, the research and the evidence yet. I would bet that it's already in the lower Platte River and it's swimming in there and it's disgusting and so uh you know that feeds into lincoln's water system and omaha's water system and so this doesn't just affect the people in mean nebraska like you're saying it affects like a lot of us and the fact that we are not willing to kind of like take the reins and when i say we i mean the state legislature <laughs> um that the state legislature is not taking the reins to get that under control it's like really disappointing actually and we need to get people help. That's an understatement. Yeah. Well, so, okay, to transition back to why you're here, though. Sorry. I mean, another, yeah, yeah, a little tangent. But yeah. uh, so as far as trying to navigate uh, the politics of it all, so one of the big issues that's come up in schools, it's not CRT, is COVID. And so there is some degree of culture war, some degree of people trying to figure out what's going to keep everyone safe. And then there was some politics that just got kind of dumb and noisy in there. But so I was heated about, you know, when do you go online? When do you not go online? When is it safe? What kind of priorities for safety overlap with ensuring students actually have the resources they need to stay on track educationally? And so keeping track of all of that was sometimes this dizzying experience where you have in March 2020, Governor Ricketts uh, basically decrees that every Nebraska school is going to go remote uh, for the rest of that school year out of an abundance of caution. And then pretty soon after that, he's saying that mask mandates are the equivalent of living under the Soviet Union. And so it's just sort of like this noisy partisan messaging. And again, we sort of lose what matters, safety, education. Um, So as part of a member of a school board, I imagine – you have to figure out, okay, how is OPS going to move past some of that noise and move past some of the conflict into a place of efficiency and success? So, I mean, what, what do you think that looks like in the post – or not not post-COVID, right, but like post-immediate confusion about how to deal with COVID sort of world? Like the lessons that we learned maybe yeah. from it? Yeah, can you move forward? Yeah. I would say that um, people just want to be heard. And I feel like they felt – that they weren't and that caused a lot of contention and a lot of issues where maybe if the school board or the city council would have been more proactive about their community engagement um, and getting accurate information out there it would have gone a little bit better but that's not a hundred percent because it uh, there's so many variables in there, but I think that things we we could learn from that is definitely just our communication and making sure that people understand why this decision is being made. Make sure there's not disinformation out there trying to combat that as much as possible. Because and also when we make decisions about things like when the school board made the decision to take the mask mandate away when the cases were going down, the hospitals were, the stress was, you know, lesser on the hospitals. When they took that vote, not one single school board member explained why uh, they wanted to take it away. Every school board member voted, um, you know, yes, let's get rid of the mask mandate. Not a single one of them explained it. And so I feel like that angered people. it made them seem like, well, you're not listening to me. You don't care. My input is not, you know, valuable, which it couldn't be more the other way around. Like what our community has to say, that's literally why we're there. We are a voice for the community. And so when we make a decision, we have to be able and be ready to explain ourselves and why we made that decision. So, you know, the community can't turn it around and be like, well, you don't, you don't listen to us. You don't say anything. There's no communication. And so relationships, positive yeah. relationships and communication kind of just all goes back to that, you know, one piece. So. so there's relationships on the level of the community and there's relationships on the level of people working in the schools as well. And so as you've already mentioned, OPS got a lot of attention this spring for projections that the district's going to lose, I think, 800 or sorry, 585 teachers this year, which is 260 more resignations than they had the previous school year. Um, So it seems like there's also a little bit of an issue with the people working in OPS feeling that their needs are being addressed. I don't know if it's specifically that they're not being heard. I also know – I don't know specifically if OPS has this policy, but a lot of public schools don't allow teachers to directly talk to school board members. There's that chain of command, which 
there's a some degree of you don't want sort of like frivolous things to go up to the top immediately to maybe make things look worse than they are. But also I think that a lot of the needs and communication breakdown sort of gets stuck at some place where it just doesn't necessarily go all the way up, uh, even if there are a lot of people expressing the same types of concerns. So what what is your vision for what it looks like to address something so that you don't have that many teachers feeling that they need to leave the profession or leave the district? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's a rule for the school board to say, um, you know, you have to go through the chain of command before you reach out to the school board member. But I could be wrong. I don't think so, though. But, you know, when we hear from teachers at the school board meetings, it's never usually never for good reasons, unless it's like a student spotlight and they're doing amazing things with the students. I love those stories. But usually <laughs> when it's public comment, um, They are so angry. They have so much pent up. It's like just an explosion. And we have to make sure like, hey, let's maybe dress this little earlier in the situation so this doesn't have to happen. And that's just what we need to do. We need to be more proactive. I can't stress that enough about how important it is to be proactive about every situation and especially about the teacher shortage situation. We've known this is going to happen for a super long time, even before the pandemic started. People were estimating, you know, we're going to have this much of a teacher shortage and we need to start addressing things five years ago. Did we do that five years ago? No. That's why we're in the situation we are today. And so that's why things are so much more reactive now. Unfortunately, the decisions that the school board uh, is making, the feelings that people are displaying, it's all a reaction from what we didn't do or from what the school board didn't do five years ago. And so we have to be a little bit more forward thinking and where we're going and, you know, the decisions that we make now are going to affect things in the future sometimes 10, 15 years from now. So we have to make sure that we take everything into account and make those good decisions that are going to benefit, hopefully, everybody. So what, what would it have looked like five years ago if they had been proactive? What do you think could have done, been done to avoid this mass exodus? Yeah, well, they didn't really get started on their, they call it like a teacher pipeline. They didn't get started with really robust measures and initiatives with their teacher pipeline until like a couple years ago, more into the COVID situation. So like paying for college students tuition if they want to become a teacher with an OPS or recruiting even high school level students to say, hey, if you become a teacher, um, you know, we'll pay for your college or we'll give you a good internship. Um, also paying our student teachers who are currently getting their degree right now, they have to get a certain amount of, um, you know, student teaching done that they usually have to do for free, but now OPS pays them. So stuff like that. If we would have done that five years ago, I think we would be in a much different place than we are right now because the pay, we're not going to see the payoff from what we've been, what the school board has been working on for two-ish years with the teacher pipeline for like another like four or five years. And so, <laughs> you know, if we did that a little earlier, I think we'd be in a much different position than we are today. And also... Just fostering more of a environment of respect for our teachers and how incredibly important they are to our school system. Because I always say, if there's no teachers, there's no school. It's just plain and simple. And so what our teachers are experiencing in the classroom and their schools, how they're being treated by their administrators and by their school board and by the school district, they bring that all into the classroom with them. And so if they're not feeling good, if they don't have the resources that they have, if they're extremely stressed out, if these kids are going wacko because, you know, they can't get their mental health figured out either and things are just awful, (laughs) you know, that's going to be displayed in the data that we see in these learning outcomes. And so we have to make sure that our teachers are taken care of, that we are more respectful towards them and understanding how important they are to furthering society as a whole. I don't mean to get too big picture here, but, you know, it's like we need our teachers because they are literally teaching the next generation of, you know, adults. And so we have to make sure that they are well prepared to do that job. (laughs) 
I'm talking with Bree Fole, who is a candidate for the OPS school board running to represent Subdistrict 2. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. We have a lot of hours of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events. And we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for, the reason why you subscribed in the first place, to hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which may be a zero, in which case, ouch. But okay, if you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more more importantly, thank you for listening. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. Remember, you can check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. You can subscribe on whatever your favorite app is. And while you're there, we'd appreciate it if you'd leave us a review. I'm talking today with Bree Full, who is a candidate for the OPS school board. She's running to represent Subdistrict 2. Full is an active community member, policy advisor at the Nebraska State Legislature. And today we're talking about what she believes OPS should do following a mass exodus of hundreds of teachers this spring to ensure a stable, successful future for education in the metro area. Here's the rest of our conversation. Well, it's, I mean, it's not something where this is the only district where there are these types of problems. I mean, right. you have a nationwide huge decline in people entering the, the, the profession and a large amount of people leaving the profession at the same time. So, I mean, I think there's kind of a, a bigger existential question right now, which is, how do you incentivize people to become teachers when a lot of the time what that means is not particularly competitive pay for the amount of educa- education that they have? Uh, also, that you're likely to be sort of demonized in the culture war for whatever reason. Uh, and, you know, on top of that, too, we have all these concerns with mass shootings happening at schools. And the response a lot of the times is thoughts and prayers. Right. So, I mean, what, is there a good answer to, like, why should people become teachers? For the children. No. <laughs> um, you know, I can't say this is why you should become a teacher. You kind of have to have your own intrinsic reason as to why you want to do this job because we can't just throw money at you and expect you to do a good job. It's like you have to feel it inside your bones. And then if you also get paid well, that's just great. That's a bonus, you know? And so we have to make sure that. Like you said, they're getting paid well, that we are respectful towards them because, you know, not every child is an angel and the easiest to work with. (laughs) Just like I was. I was a very um, interesting and challenging child. But look where I am today because my teachers worked with me and they didn't give up on me. You know, so just helping teachers or future teachers feel like this is an incredibly important job and it will be so rewarding in the end you know I've met so many teachers even if they had a bad experience it was like but the kids but the children it was like I had an undeniable bond with these children and I felt like I was really able to make a difference in in my community and so maybe that's an answer it's kind of (laughs) long-winded um you know just having that desire inside just to, just to teach and do that is kind of where we have to be at but we also have to be able to support them in their lives and their families and what they want to do the teachers um, yeah. yeah well I mean I think it's it's something where for a while the idea that it's sort of like you have a calling and it's just sort of like you will sacrifice certain things because it's good for yeah. the society I don't know that that holds that much credibility now as a right. pitch right mm-hmm. um, and I wonder as well when we talked about before, 
that there are certainly some districts where there's not a lot of access for teachers to even pitch to a school board, right? There may be like are these outbursts when they've lost it. Like I know there were some teachers, uh, you know, during COVID when the mask mandate arguments were happening, right, that there were people who would come out and they didn't really care if they were going to get in trouble because they just wanted to get their message out. Mm -hmm. But like are, are there are there methods or could there be good methods for teachers themselves to answer this question of why – why either people should be teachers or what it would take for existing teachers to stay? Like, what do they want to see the changes be? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have a great teachers union, the Omaha Education Association, and they have come to the school board meetings. They have gotten in contact with their school board members uh, many times. And, you know, not all of their solutions that they wanted, that they feel that they deserved, were listened to, not even a vote on them, you know? So listening and not just listening actually implementing when they want is so important to me and not just with the teachers that's with any kind of community member um you know a student a parent a community stakeholder a nonprofit in the in the community like if they see that there's a problem and they have a good solution to it we need to figure out ways to accommodate them to the fullest extent and um I, yeah, I think we have a good teachers union and they are saying what they want. They are very vocal about what they want. So we just need to listen, honestly. What were some of the proposals that they wanted to see happen that didn't get a vote? Well, they wanted, so they got more planning time, but it wasn't exactly what they wanted. Um, and it wasn't even like a compromise. It wasn't a negotiation or anything. It was just like, this is what you get, you know? So um, making sure to listen to them, negotiate with them, make sure that this is a solution that's actually going to work and that's meaningful and that's like plan time. If a teacher doesn't have their plan time, it makes their job so much harder. And with the teacher shortage, they are having to cover constantly for other classrooms, for other teachers. We don't even have enough substitute teachers, okay? <laughs> this is a bad situation all around. Another Nebraska institution facing staffing issues is prisons. Uh, Nebraska departmental data showed that the state's prison population has been over capacity since the early 80s. Uh, it's a problem that's projected to keep getting worse. And on top of that, they are struggling to staff these overcrowded prisons. So Omaha recently attempted to address some of this through a new $120 million juvenile detention center that opened earlier this year. And I know you've said that one of your priorities is to address Omaha's school-to-prison pipeline. So mm -hmm. can you tell me what, what is that and what can be done about it? Yeah, so the school-to-prison pipeline is a phenomenon that happens – Primarily with minority students, so like black students, Native American students with disabilities, those students are more likely to face discipline when they go to school. And the research shows us that when kids are disciplined at higher rates, they enter the juvenile justice system at way higher rates. And also, when they become adults, they enter the adult correctional system at higher rates. And so that's a huge issue in my mind, especially when Nebraska has the worst overcrowding. I think it's in the country. We're either number one or number two. And so funneling our kids into the justice system, into an incarceration system is like not the answer for me. And we have to be more proactive. So OPS has kind of change the way that they approach disciplining their kids. It's more like a tiered system. And so, you know, the first tier is like the bottom level intervention. You know, you get a slap on the wrist or you get told not to do it. Second, you get detention, you get a phone call home or whatever. It's like there's levels to it now where necessarily that's not how it was in the past. And so I feel like they're moving towards a better system in that way. But also with their student code of conduct, there is lots of wording and language in there that I feel may be harmful to our children and putting them in perilous situations where they could enter the juvenile justice system at higher rates and the school to prison pipeline. You know, that's kind of where it interlaces for me is with the student code of conduct. And so recently they just voted on a measure to change language to say that kids if they get in a fight and they didn't 
initiate it and they didn't fight back even they can't claim self-defense it's like if you get in a fight you get in a fight you get in trouble and I was kind of scratching my head at that one (laughs) and so was the rest of the community and so I actually went to the school board meeting when they voted on that and said you absolutely have to give the students a choice to claim self-defense that's I didn't say that at the school board meeting, but that's one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like not even in our, um, you know, regular laws. You know, you have to be able to claim self-defense. That's just common sense. But that's my opinion. Um, and thankfully, the school board um, did kind of listen and they made sure that it was clarified that students still do have the option. But when you have to when you're doing things like that it's like obviously kids are going to get disciplined at higher rates if they don't have a choice um if they get in trouble or not even if it wasn't their fault and so things like that just little things like that are scattered all around the student code of conduct and it's like we need to take a second look at those things and so hopefully that's what i'll I'll be doing well yeah i mean that, that seems like an example of something where because you have proximity to being in school that maybe some older people don't i mean the theories of discipline have changed a lot in the yeah. last several decades right so i mean what, what was it like for you when you were in lps what was was it an effective discipline system <laughs> well um i was a very very sad child and it was hard for me to listen in school. It was hard for me to concentrate. I was a very rebellious child. I hated authority. <laughs> and so I hated people telling me what to do. But um, I think that they did help me with those things. And what I mean by that is having teachers that are reliable, that show up there for you, who know you, who know how to... Um, you know, calm you down and have a little bit of consistency. And unfortunately, when teachers are leaving all the time, that's not happening. Um, But I feel like the OPS system did a pretty good job disciplining me. You know, I got detention. (laughs) I got in trouble. Um, But I had consequences. And I think that's ultimately what we have to make sure that our students are aware of. It's like every action whether it's a positive or negative consequence, you're going to have a consequence. And so it's really hard for their young little brains and their frontal lobe to, you know, kind of realize that they need to make better decisions. It's literally not how they're hardwired. (laughs) They're not hardwired like adults and they make good rational decisions. Not saying that all adults make rational decisions, but you know what I mean. It's much harder for children. And so, um, also just acknowledging that like kids are gonna be kids and they're gonna be a little stupid sometimes and they're not gonna listen but you have to instill in them that um consequences are gonna be there for you um negative or positive and you're gonna have to deal with it and you're gonna have to face it um and so I still think that having a robust discipline system is incredibly important and also having our our parents follow through when they get home so if you get in trouble at school I would like to think that maybe you got something taken away at home or you had to do an extra chore or something like that where that's not necessarily the case it's like our parents and our schools are not always on the same level when it comes to making sure that their child faces consequences not only at school but at home as well. If you're just joining us, I'm talking today with Bree Full, who's a candidate for the OPS school board running to represent Subdistrict 2. Are you worried about the future of public education in Nebraska? What do you think needs to happen to ensure stability and success in our schools? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play on an upcoming show. It's funny. So you talk about how you hated uh, authority and being told what to do. And I think every kid is kind of that way, right? And you're in an environment where you did not ask to be there and you have zero power really, right? But it is kind of important to navigate that even if that's not the best system, a lot of life you is going to be a situation where you're not going to automatically have a lot of power. And so it sounds like what you're saying is discipline needs to be tied not only to sort of a consistency, but again, this sort of idea of relationships are very important. Um, So relationships, a consistency that's tied to a relationship where people know each other, there is maybe a respect and that acknowledgement that there are going to be some kind of rules that you do have to adhere to for everybody to have a better time, right? Right. That's how our society works. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so it needs to be kind of a microcosm. Right. Yes. Get them started um, young 
<laughs> indoctrinated them? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Them to you know have you know some degree of respect manners. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. well, okay. There, there's there's good ways to channel that, right? Ultimately, yes. Um, well, so as far as society, kind of in a broader sense, as we get to the end here, I know you've written that the way we lay foundation for systemic change is by getting the community more involved in the decision-making process. Mm-hmm. So you've laid out some ways to do that, I think, with parents in general, but like in, in kind of like a broader sense, because you also work through the state legislature. How do you get more community involved in the local decision-making process? Well, I think that making sure that there are educated about how the system works in general is really important Um, because like I said I didn't become aware of how this all worked until pretty recently um, five or six years ago and even when I became aware of it it's like a whole puzzle of how things work and um, so you have to make sure that people are educated and they know and they're up to date about the issues and what's happening, which they usually are. They're very involved in their children or their community's welfare. So making sure that they know how the system works, making sure that they have an option to where they can talk to their school board members, they have that public comment, they can come in, they can talk to their school board members not at a meeting because sometimes people are uncomfortable or feel like they're going to face reparations or retaliation if they come and speak publicly. And so getting, just making them feel comfortable, letting them know that you're not going to judge them. You are not going to retaliate against them for any way. Um, Just becoming one with them, with the community. It's not like I'm some foreign alien that (laughs) because I'm elected official, I don't exist in the community anymore. It's like, I am a community member. I engage with my elected officials all the time and I understand how frustrating it is when you don't feel heard by them or you don't get a response or you feel like if you talk to them they're going to talk to somebody else and it's going to get you in trouble. I understand that. (laughs) I do it all the time and so I want to make sure that's not the case. Um, You know if a constituent comes and talks to me and wants to figure something out or they have an issue because the people in the community, are they know best. That is my opinion. That's not how every politician thinks, but I think the community knows best. And what they want and what they need, we need to do that. So just listening to them, implementing what they want and making them feel comfortable um, and not putting you on a pedestal, not putting politicians on a pedestal because we they're just human beings, you know. Um, so... I feel like that's Sometimes they put themselves on the pedestal. 100%. The ego is out the roof, (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately. Um, But yeah, just humble yourself, politicians, okay? (laughs) I'm talking to myself, too. Well, it's interesting in Omaha because it feels like sometimes we get this momentum where a lot of people are really engaged and they really want to make the city change in various ways. And it doesn't always manifest in that much, right? Like in the, there was a lot of, it seemed like progressive energy in the last municipal election, but then a lot of the same people just got reelected and it kind of Omaha looked like Omaha did before. Um, You actually tweeted a few weeks ago that local government has disempowered people from feeling like they have the ability to influence what happens in their communities for so long now that they actually believe it, but it's just not true. So I don't know. I, I think particularly this week, right, as it looks like our libraries are going to get privatized after all of this controversy, it can be difficult to buy into the optimism of your tweet. There's kind of an optimistic <laughs> core. Do you ever struggle with that? 100%. I do. But it's like if I don't have hope, the person who's running for office, it's like who's going to have some hope? But we also need to be realistic about the situation. And, yeah, like the situation with our public libraries, they're going to vote tomorrow, I think, to instate an advisory committee, air quotes, to, um, you know, make decisions about the future of our libraries with with the help of the Heritage Organization. And so I understand why people would be frustrated and disempowered and they feel like they can't do anything. But it's like, if enough of us come together, with the library situation, it's a little different. Lots of people very vocal about that but some of these other issues that we face in our community it's like the right people aren't feeling the pressure and I feel like if we put enough pressure and we find a good window of opportunity to create change that's kind of where we have to 
um, go in. And we need a good leader who understands that, me, <laughs> and who can get those types of things done um, and lead the charge because I, you know, I was a BLM activist in 2020 and I know what protests and what pressure can do to make changes in the community, especially like I'm talking about the James Scurlock case and Don Klein and how they went to his house every day for like 50 days or something outrageous and protested at his house every single day. And they ultimately got a new decision about how, um, you know, they were going to move forward with that case and get justice. And so I think if enough people come together, we can create change. We just need a good person who can lead the charge um, and really rally the people. Yeah, well, and it seems like your the resounding thing we keep coming back to is to rally people, they have to feel like there is a mutual respect relationship uh, and sort of a forum for communication, right? Not necessarily that the leader has all the answers. Right. Definitely not all leaders have every single answer that you can imagine. Like I said, I think that the answers come from the community. And so good, good, being a good leader is listening to those people. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen (laughs) all the time um, in Omaha politics. But we have to be ready to create change. We have to vote in people who are actually going to do that. And Um, You know, hopefully I'm not just talking the talk. I'll walk the walk if I get elected. Um, And hopefully, you know, in like 10 or 15 years, the way that our government interacts with the community is a lot different. And hopefully they're a lot more proactive and they put community engagement as a priority um, instead of just putting them in the background. Unfortunately, that's how it works now. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's important, too, that uh, I think it's sometimes hard for people to look down ballot, right? It's sort of easier to say like, okay, well, if I want to see change, I guess I have to become mayor, you know, and not, <laughs> not to criticize people then, because obviously it's good to run. It's good to have a, you know, a primary, whatever. So, but you've, you've chosen something that feels comfortable for you, right? It feels like a level that makes sense um, with your experience and the skills that you're going to bring to it. So I don't want to bring us too far away from that as we wrap up here. So you are running to be on the OPS school board. Is there anything else you want people to know about your campaign as we reach the end here? Um, well, if you want to learn more information about my campaign, you can go to full4ops.com. That's full4ops.com. We have activities happening constantly. We're going to start uh, canvassing up again soon. And so if you're interested in that, if you are interested in phone banking, writing postcards, helping out with events, like there's so much that you can do if you feel so ever inclined. So um, yeah, I think that's all. Well, it's been great to get to know you and your vision. So thanks so much for being here today. Of course. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matugowitz. Remember, you can find a backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today. Please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.